On December 19, 2015, a couple of up-and-coming welterweight prospects met on the preliminary card of UFC on Fox 17. They were a Nigerian-born American named Kamaru Usman and a Jamaican-born Englishman named Leon Edwards. On that night, Usman prevailed in a competitive fight, winning the second and third rounds to take a unanimous decision. Five years later, neither man has lost another fight. Usman, of course, is the UFC welterweight champion, riding a 16-fight winning streak and one of the most dominant fighters in the sport. Edwards' path has been a little rockier, no pun intended, but quite impressive in its own right. The man from Birmingham has won eight straight since his loss to Usman, and if he prevails in this Saturday's main event, he will pass John Fitch for the most consecutive wins without a title shot in the history of the UFC welterweight division. That string of frustration seems likely to end if Edwards wins this weekend, with none other than the champ, Usman, calling for him to finally get his shot. But in order to do that, he will need to get past the red-hot Bilal Muhammad. Hello and welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 187, Edwards vs. Muhammad, also known as UFC Vegas 21. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com, and with me is Keith Schillen. Keith is executive producer of the Loudmouth MMA Network, as well as the SureDog Radio Network, where he is host and creator of numerous shows, including MMA Past, Present, and Future, and, of course, the Schillen and Duffy Show. Keith, how are you this evening? Dude, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, can we, can you we know? do something we normally don't do? Absolutely. We never go back and, like, look at last week's, you know, predictions. But I think, like, every once in a while when you predict as well as we do, we should, like, give ourselves a pat on the back. And and specifically, I'm talking about that both me and you both predicted that we would have a new UFC Bantamweight champion, Aljamain Sterling. I mean, can we get some props for our pick? Oh, yeah. I mean, and both of us picked him by disqualification, right? <laughs> 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 oh, what, what a crazy night of fights that was. Uh last weekend you know for a 15 fight card i think both you and i agreed uh shockingly entertaining like almost all of them were at least good several of them were extremely good and even the weird ones gave us plenty to talk about and that just leads us into courtney casey versus jj aldridge i you know <laughs> yeah if it's we start off a preview by talking about the last weekend's card that tells you something about the card that's coming up <laughs> uh this card, it has several really intriguing fights on it. It has several more really intriguing fighters in not-so-intriguing fights. But, yeah, I mean, flat out, we could easily have gone last week without putting anybody on our cut list in the recap. This week, there are a half-dozen fighters in this card who probably are not UFC material. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of on the cut list on the recap show. I I suspect so. Uh, I mean, anything else to say about this card as a whole, or should we just dive uh, straight into the undercard? Yeah, let's get right into it. Let's give the people what they want, this loaded undercard. The UFC Fight Night 187 prelims kick off with a welterweight matchup between Jason Witt and Matthew Semmelsberger. Witt, the 34-year-old, is 18-6 and six overall. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC since uh, joining, well, kind of middle of last year. He lost his debut to Takashi Sato in June, then came back for the Halloween card and defeated Cole Williams by a second-round arm triangle choke. 
He is facing Semmelsberger. The 28-year-old from Maryland is 7-2 overall. He is 1-0 in the UFC, having made a successful debut against Carlton Minus at UFC on ESPN 15 last August. Semmelsberger, the uh, younger, the less experienced man, but nonetheless the slight favorite, he is out there around minus 130 right now, where you can get wit around plus 110 or plus 115. Keith, who do you who do you see uh, winning this one? And honestly, this fight being what it is, what do you see as the ceiling for these guys? Like, are are either of these guys like blue chip prospect material? No, absolutely not. Neither guy. Uh, I think. Uh... The, these guys got to be re- regulated to the prelims for the remainder of the UFC career, unless it's you know a showcase fight for somebody else where they're you know they're serving as that spring for somebody else. Uh, I'll start with Wit. Uh, he's not very athletic. I'll give him credit. He's a pressure fighter. He does very well to press pressure forward, but he's kind of flat forward. He's kind of stiff. Um, switches stances. I, I didn't stop saying that because everyone's at this point. Everyone's switching stances. Uh, his hands are pretty slow, though. I do like that he targets the body. Kicks are pretty hard. He keeps his chin high in the air, though. Uh, he changes levels um, up and down, kind of faking his wrestling, like he's faking a shot as part of his feints to set up his hands, which I like. And then he will look for takedowns. He's extremely strong. Like if he grabs your leg, he can just pick you up and slam you. We saw that against Cole Williams. Where at one point he like Matt Hughes Frank tricked him where he picked him up and then walked all the way across to the other side of the cage before slamming him. Uh, heavy top control, kind of a outdated ground and pound style though. Like uh, your Mark Coleman, your Tito Ortiz style. Like he 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 wants to sit in the guard and kind of land blows from that. And that was a lot of the regional regional scene uh, film. Though he did get a submission in his last fight. Movo Semmelsberger, he's he actually is a good athlete. They'll mention on the broadcast like 10 times that he was a former NCAA football player. Good output, pretty fast hands, some nice snap on his punches, pretty good power, nice counter right hand. Uh, he has a traditional high boxing guard, makes a mistake of backing up straight on the center line. Uh, he also targets the body, which I like, hard kicks. Um, not a bad wrestler, pretty good entries, uh, but he really needs to improve his top control. I mean, he couldn't keep Carlton minus down who i think most of would say is probably not even ufc level uh so start right away this is a tough matchup um i think wit has the advantage on the ground i think semelsberger probably has the advantage on the feet i think semelsberger has the higher ceiling as you kind of just ask like what's their ceiling uh but what is more experience and to me at this point in the career he's probably a little bit more of a finished uh product uh so with less than zero confidence i will take wit and honestly, I'm locking this in right first fight of the night as my upset special. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm with you on Semmelsberger having a higher ceiling just because I think we already we can already see right now like Wit right now is this is prime Wit this is as as good as he's going to be he's kind of maxed out his athletic potential you described his game you know very very well and. That's what he's brought consistently, you know, from his last fights on the regional scene up to his uh, uh, to his UFC fights. You never know what you're going to get with someone like Semmelsberger, who has fewer than 10 fights and is very much a raw prospect. In terms of his experience, in terms of his potential as an athlete, I mean, this is the kind of guy that a couple of years ago, he'd probably be another win or two, even from getting on the contender series. 
but the UFC being what it is now, they need bodies. Semmelsberger's got one, and and here he is. I'm with you, though. I With a guy like Semmelsberger, there's always the chance that he turns a corner overnight, and from one fight to the next, you're like, holy cow, you know, who is this guy? But I'm not going to bet for that to happen. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. Give me wit in a grindy win where Semmelsberger probably has, like, some flashes and puts him in danger, especially, in, in you know, in the first two rounds. But uh, wit just, you know, picks up two rounds out of three. Next up, it is a strawweight matchup between the debuting Gloria De Paula and Jin Yu Fry. De Paula... The 25-year-old Brazilian is 5-2 and two in her uh, young mixed martial arts career. This will be her first appearance in the real octagon after a successful appearance in the Contender Series octagon against Paulina Macias back in November. She will be taking on uh, Jin Yu Fry, who's had a rough couple of years. This time two years ago, Fry was the Invicta FC atomweight champion and one of the four or five top uh, Adam waits in the world. Since then, she has gone one and three, and in that one win, she missed weight for one of her own title defenses, uh, leaving the Invicta Adam weight belt vacant after defeating Ashley Cummins. More importantly, for her immediate prospects, Fry is currently 0-2 in the UFC, having lost to Kay Hansen and uh, Loma Lugunmi in June and October of last year, respectively. Uh, reflecting Fry's fall from grace, fall from prominence. De Paula is the favorite coming into her UFC debut. She's out there around minus 185 or minus 190, where Fry is available at plus 165 or plus 170 even as the underdog. I'll just say, Fry was a dangerous fighter to pick in a fight, even when she was at the height of her powers, even when she was at Adam weight and Invicta and, you know, again, probably the third or fourth best Adam weight in the world because under the ideal, perfect circumstances, Ginny Fry just barely wins a fight. She's so deliberate. She's so buttoned down. She's so low volume that even like she could beat Mina Grisander and take all five rounds from her. And it still felt like a super close fight because each individual round was super close. That makes her a dangerous person to pick. And at strawweight in the UFC, she's even more dangerous to pick because at atomweight, I mean, you just you look at the woman and she is one of the most just ripped physical specimens in the sport, but she's a five foot three, hundred five hundred now hundred and fifteen pound woman. That power has not carried over to UFC level strawweights. Uh, you know, Kay Hansen is a like a burly athletic young fighter. But Loma Lobumi is tiny. She's also a former Adam weight, and uh, she handled Fry as well. Uh, Fry is 35. Obviously, women's and men's weight classes don't line up one for one, but women's Adam weight slash uh, straw weight kind of lines up with men's bantam weight, featherweight, and lightweight to me. Those are divisions where speed does kill, and especially if you're someone like Fry who was. Uh, Never quite as explosive as it looked like you should be, maybe just because she is such a deliberate fighter. I just don't have any faith in her anymore. I don't know what Gloria DePaula's ceiling is, but I know that her floor is above Jin Yu Fry right now. Give me Gloria DePaula by decision. Wow. Uh, I, first of all, I'm glad that you brought up 
uh, Ginny Fry's like decision wins that she always seemed to get the nod in really close fights. Uh, I I scored the second fight for Ashley Cummins for Cummins. I also gave both uh, Grusander fights to Grusander. I gave her both fights, and, and she lost both. Uh, you mentioned it. Thirty-five years old. She's as you mentioned undersized. She's a very. The reason why she had close fights is she's always been a very low output, slow you down, striking kind of like a early Leona Machida when Leona Le- Machida first came into the UFC and he just like snoozed everyone to death. Counter striker. Uh, she she kind of relies on her opponents to attack her to open up her own counterattacks. Uh, she will grind you in the clinch where um, she has kind of fight she wants, which is kind of surprising when you look at her last fight against uh, Loma, who batted her with elbows and destroyed her in the clinch. Uh, she will look for a takedown from there. Like she'll drop down on a single leg. She also can shoot from the outside. Uh, and her, her takedown defense, you know, if you attack her, is pretty good. But she struggles if you put her on her back. Now you move to DePaulo, but DePaulo is a contender series girl. This is actually one of the girls I really liked in the contender series. She's much better than her her record, uh, especially her early uh, record indicates. She's a high volume striker. She's lighter on her feet, long and lengthy, fast hands, works behind a long jab, straight punches down the pipe, uh, accurate right hand, throws combos, uh, pretty decent power. I mean, she she drops her opponent in the contender series. Uh, Though defensively, she does a lot of pillaring, which which I don't like. We've talked about before. Nice kicks. You know, I love the step in knees. Uh, strong, also stronger than Muay Thai plum. Knees and elbows in close. Dirty boxing style. Knees to the body kind of thing. Uh, she will sneak in and take down herself. Uh, top control is solid. Uh, she like I wouldn't say she's a big submission threat, but she was attacking Paulina Macias's like head a lot. Like she was looking for. Her. Darce chokes and guillotines and stuff like that. Uh, hard ground and pound if, if she's on top. Um, though I would say weak takedown defense, though. Um, and I actually saw her get headlocked once in the regional scene, which I don't like. Uh, this is a this is like I would say this is a close fight. Like you you picked very, you were very confident, Macias, and I totally agree with the ceiling of Macias is way higher than Fry at this point, but. The experience level Fry is still a tough out for anybody making their UFC debut. If Fry can get to the clinch or just kind of turn into a wrestling match, she could win. But when I think of Fry, I kind of think of like where I feel like I think about like Jessica Aguilar, where at one time she was one of the best fighters outside the UFC, just when the UFC didn't have her division. And then by the time they added it, it was a little too late. Now, in Fry's case, you know, she had to move up a weight class, which would be even worse. Uh, I think DePaulo is probably strong enough in the clinch that she can kind of handle her own in the battle. Hopefully, can stop some takedowns. And she's—I think she's well-rounded. I think she's athletic. I think she's obviously young and kind of on the rise. I think she makes her statement, her debut. I think DePaulo wins by unanimous decision. I think Junior Fry is going to be on both of our cut lists. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, Fry might even be on mine if she wins because you know it's going to be a terrible fight if she does. Next up on the UFC Vegas 21 prelims, it is a flyweight matchup between Courtney Casey and J.J. Aldrich. Casey, the 33-year-old Arizonan, is 9-8 and eight overall. She is a very modest 5-7 and seven in the UFC. She fought most recently last June at UFC on ESPN 11, uh, losing to Jillian Robertson by rear-naked choke in the third round. 
Before that, she took an armbar submission over Mara Romero Barella at UFC on ESPN 8 back last May. Aldridge, the 28-year-old, is 8-4 and four overall. She is 4-3 and three in the UFC. Casey is currently just a slight underdog. She's out there at plus 130 or so. Uh, Aldrich available at minus 150 as the favorite. Keith, uh, who do you have in this one? Um, well, first of all, I was actually a little surprised that Aldrich was the favorite. I, I would have thought Casey, you know, being a bigger name and has some bigger wins, I thought she was going to be the favorite. Uh, I'll start with Casey. Um, she's, she's a boxer. I'll say that. Even though she's moving up, away, you know, recently moved up to flyweight, she's actually pretty big and still strong for that weight class. Uh, she sits on her punches, throws combinations, a lot of kicks from range. Um, though she is a terrible wrestler. I said this last time we broke down her fight. Dominic Cruz said against Julia Robinson that her takedown defense was non-existent. Uh, she is a submission threat off her back. She caught Mauro Romero Barella, as you mentioned, off her back. Uh, but she will give away rounds by not scrambling to her feet. Move over to Aldridge, southpaw, counter-striker, uses lots of movements as she's trying to get her opponent to chase her into her punches. I would say good boxing, pretty fast hands, accurate straight left, tends to have some low output at times, one strike at times. She also she also headhunts, which is something uh, that I don't like. I think she needs to go to the body a little bit more. And she doesn't have too much power. She's probably actually probably a little undecided. She looks like she can go down a weight class. Uh, she also got destroyed in the clinch by Sabina Mazo. I would say she's a better wrestler than Courtney Casey, which is not saying much. She's a pretty decent offensive and defensive wrestler, though she hardly ever uses her grappling. Uh, this is a hard fight to pick. I don't see either girl looking for a takedown, so I expect it to be on the feet. Aldridge is probably the better pure boxer, while Casey's the better kickboxer. To me, this has split decision written all over it. I expected, you know, before looking at the film that this was going to be one of my upset or maybe my upset special. But Aldridge actually is right now the betting favorite. I actually think Aldridge is going to win by split decision. Man, this is this is not going to be one of those nights that we have a whole lot of dissension, apparently. Uh, I'm feeling a lot of the same you are. Uh, Courtney Casey's uh, takedown defense is awful you pointed out the robertson fight uh, i always go back to when she just got taken down easily and kind of bullied around in the clinch as well by michelle waterson one of the tiniest straw weights in the division a former adam weight now casey's all the way up at 125 i honestly i think aldrich if she wanted to could probably take casey down at will and just you know turn this into a, a grind out on the ground but I'm with you. I don't think she'll probably want to. I think she, like by preference, she's going to want to make this into a uh, into a striking match. That gives Casey more opportunities. But I still have Aldrich in this one, just just narrowly. Uh, I think of the two uh, former strawweights, she's probably the slightly stronger, even you know slightly more athletic one. And I I see her as well taking a close decision. Next up, it is a lightweight matchup between Nasrad Hakparas and late opponents uh, Rafa Garcia, who steps in for Don Madge. Hakparas, the 25-year-old Afghanistani, is 12-3 overall. He is 4-2 in the UFC. He fought twice last year, defeating Alex Munoz by unanimous decision back at UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus Olenek in August. 
and losing to Drew Dober by quick knockout at UFC 246. He will be welcoming Garcia to the octagon. The 26-year-old Mexican is a perfect 11-0 in his mixed martial arts career. He has uh, competed for the last eight fights in Combate Americas, where he has taken on in his last few fights uh, some UFC veterans, Umberto Bandanay, Estevan Payan. Uh, but nonetheless, Garcia taking a huge step up in competition here against uh, one of the more intriguing prospects in the UFC and Hak Parast, and the odds reflect that. Hak Parast, uh, one of the stronger favorites on the card at minus 325. Garcia available around plus 300. Uh, Keith, uh, who do you like in this one? And if your answer is what I think it's going to be, <laughs> do you think there's any place for Rafa Garcia in the UFC after this fight? Yeah, so I'll start Garcia then. Yeah, Garcia... Um... I mean, he's undefeated, so you got to like that. He's got some pretty good regional experience. I mean, fighting in combate, he's beat some good uh, fighters. Uh, you know, his last fight was against Humberto um, Bandanaya, you know, a former UFC fighter, so that's good. Uh, his style, he's very aggressive, though he's aggressive but kind of flat-footed. He doesn't really cut off the cage that well. He isn't a great athlete. Uh, he throws a lot of looping shots, um, and he kind of leaps into his own shots, but they're kind of wild and, and, and telegraphed. Uh, he will shoot for a takedown, and he's relentless to get them, but they kind of are very ugly. He kind of just ducks his head and reaches forward, but somehow it's effective. But I think that's effective on combate level. Like I don't expect it to work, uh, and especially not against a guy like Hawkbrass. Hawkbrass is a very tough out in your UFC debut because Hawkbrass is a very solid fighter. He's well-rounded, southpaw. It's funny because he gets compared to Kelvin Gastelum because of, you know, they look like twins. But their styles are actually similar, too, like the way they fight. Uh, pressure fighter, throws hard, fast hands. Like the one thing about Gaston is his hand speed. It really steps in the pocket, similar to what Gaston does. His overhand left is money shot, just like Gaston. He's got some nice power, good feints on his attacks. He can grapple. Uh, he doesn't look to grapple, but when he needs to, he's got some good entries, good top control. He's a... Um, you know, we got grounded pound, more grounded pound than submission. I think Gaston's a little more of a submission. But it's funny. It's one of those ones where you're like, oh, that's a weak comparison. Then you're like, break down the film. You're actually like, actually, they're extremely similar. Uh, as far as who wins this fight, I mean, this fight is tailor-made for Hawk Rust. I mean, he is faster. He hits harder. He's way more technical. He's got way more experience. Garcia has never lost, you know, so obviously he's never been knocked out. But I think it happens now. Give me Hawk Bros, and I say he knocks him out in the first round. That says, as you mentioned, Don Madge was you're supposed to be the matchup. That would have been a really good fight. Like, I don't know who I would pick. Like, I didn't do the tape study on Madge. Uh, you know, I, but this fight was already announced. But that would have been a much better fight. This is, this is to me, a paycheck for Hawk Ross. I'm with you, and it's nice to see Rafa Garcia make it here. But the guys that he's beaten... In Combate, guys like, you know, Esteban Payan, Umberto Bandanai, they're guys who didn't win any fights in the UFC. Garcia will get another chance after this, but he's undersized. He's not a particularly, you know, crazy great athlete. And he has the kind of aggression that UFC level lightweights are are not going to be phased by and are going to be able to turn against him. Uh, the only, like, this, this is a, a huge mismatch. And this is Hawk Pratt's fight to put away whenever he wants, probably just by knockout on the feet. I'm 
gonna give it round two just because TriStar. You know, like moving to TriStar Gym, your opponent always has a chance to make it out of the first round. Uh, and that's what I'm banking on here. So give me Nasrat Hakparast by uh, second round TKO. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 187 prelims, it is a bantamweight matchup between the veteran Hani Yaya and the relative newcomer Ray Rodriguez. Rodriguez, the 33-year-old Texan, is 16-7 and overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC, having uh, stepped in on short notice to take on Brian Kelleher back at UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Sakai last September. Uh, Kelleher put him away with a guillotine choke in about 30 seconds, so we didn't get to see much there. Uh, he actually appeared on Dana White's Contender Series uh, Season 3 back in uh, 2019 and lost a third-round TKO there. Uh, welcoming, well, welcoming him back to the octagon for his second appearance will be uh, Yaya, who I will say flat out, I was stunned that Hani Yaya is only 36 years old. And I was a little surprised that uh, Hani Yaya's uh, UFC record is as good as it is. Overall, he is 26, 10, and 1 with one no contest. He is 11, 4, and 1 with one no contest uh, since joining the UFC after the dissolution of World Extreme Cage fighting. Uh, Yaya, the comfortable favorite here. He is available as high as or as low as minus 290. You can get Rodriguez around plus uh, 245 or plus 250 as the underdog. I like Ray Rodriguez as a fighter. I want him to be UFC material and stick around because he is a fun grappler to watch. Uh, you know, here in, in Texas, he's definitely known as an exciting grappler. He comes from uh, Ohana Academy, probably the top gym in San Antonio. And while they are definitely a mixed martial arts gym, they're known for turning out kind of aggressive submission-oriented grapplers. Unfortunately, the 42nd guillotine lost to Brian Kelleher might be a better indication of how his grappling is going to match up with UFC level grapplers. And if there's one thing you can say about Hani Yaya, it is that he is, I mean, it's not just that he's a grappling specialist. He is like an old school submission specialist. The guy has been fighting for close to 20 years and he doesn't even have a TKO on his record by accident. Like even Damian Maya has accidentally knocked some people out and probably apologized afterwards. Hani Yaya, it has 26 career wins with 20 submissions and plenty of sassy stuff there. You know, North-South chokes. You know, I know that North-South chokes are, are kind of a typical big man submission, but for like a 130, 540-pound guy to get that is pretty crazy. Uh, he's the kind of guy, you know, he'll he'll go for leg locks. He will, you know, he loves to, you know, scramble and take the back. He's more of the uh, rabid Wolverine take-your-back guy than just the methodical, you know, Formiga or Damian Maya. Uh, backpack type fighter. Yaya is a guy who can always lose a fight in kind of a weird head scratching, embarrassing way, which is why I was a little surprised that his UFC record is so good. I think I just kind of even wrote him off coming in out of the WEC as well, he'll be a lot of fun, but I mean, he won't spend any significant time in the top 10 because he'll always win two and then just lose some terrible fight. But he has a good record in the UFC Bantamweight division and while he can lose a fight in weird and terrible ways, they're not the weird and terrible ways that Ray Rodriguez is going to be able to put on him. That's the main problem here. Uh, give me Hani Yaya and give me Yaya by third round submission. We'll get some exciting 
uh, grappling. We'll probably get some terrible kickboxing, but uh, Rodriguez will get tired first, and then it'll be all over. Yaya will take his back, you know, and either get uh, rear naked choke or an armbar or something. Yeah, so, yeah, Yaya is 36 years old, as you mentioned. (laughs) I agree with you. He seems like he should be older. He should be, like, his mid-40s. Uh, he was never been a good striker, and he's you know he's at 36. You expect him to kind of lose a step, so that is obviously troublesome. But he is so aggressive in his striking that it actually somewhat becomes um, effective because when you throw as hard as he does, you're gonna have to block it, and he will throw wild because he wants you to be dumb enough to go for a takedown. I mean, like he leaves himself open to be taken down. Or if he's throwing so hard, you're going to raise your hands because you have to block it. He's going to catch you with a shot. And then you raise your hands and he can shoot underneath. Or the third option is he can get close enough. He'll just pull guard. Uh, and he'll build guard is because, as you say, he's not just a good grappler. He's an extremely high-level submission artist. Great at scrambles. He has some, some of the slickest back takes I've ever seen. You mentioned he's got 20 career submissions. You mentioned how he has a high variety of submissions. He's hit pretty much every... Single submission there is one time in his career. Uh, though he, the one thing I'm really worried about his last fight is that he really gassed out against Enrique Barzola. But that Enrique Barzola is a tricky, heavy, top level wrestler. I don't expect that in this fight. Now, Mua to, to Ray Rodriguez, I think he's pretty well rounded. I would say he's aggressive striker on the feet. So if this stays on the feet, it could be kind of fun. Fast hands, fast kicks. Uh, we'll attack with combos. We'll attack the body. Um, uh, Hard kicks to the body. He likes to get to the clinch and kind of big brother you, bully you in there, knees and elbows. He's not a good wrestler, but as you mentioned, he is a a good grappler. Like when I did tape study for him when he was on the contender series, I think he was still a brown belt. He might be a black belt by now, I'm not sure. Uh, but he yeah, he's aggressive submissions both on top and on bottom. Uh Though he does like to play the BJJ game on his back, which would not be a good idea against someone like Ronnie Yaya. But I also like that if he's on top, he'll beat you up with punches and then look for the submission. Rodriguez, to win this fight, he's going to need to use a sprawl and brawl game in this one. And I just don't think he can do it or will do it. I expect Yaya to take him down. I expect Yaya to submit him. I expect him to do it pretty quickly. If Ryan Ke- Keller can submit me in the first round, I'm pretty sure Ryan and Yaya can too. So give me Yaya and give me by give give me Yaya by first round submission. We move over to the featherweight division, where Charles Jordan is set to welcome Marcelo Rojo to the octagon. Jordan, the 25 year old Canadian, is 10 three and one overall. He is one two and one in the UFC. That one, that final one, uh, a draw in his most recent appearance where he uh, had a split draw with uh, Josh Kulabau at UFC on ESPN 16 last October. Uh, Previous to that, he lost uh, a split decision to Andre Feely at UFC on ESPN 10 last June. He will be welcoming Rojo. The 32 year old uh, Argentinian is 16 and six overall. He, uh, Last fought all the way back in September of 2019. That was a win over Victor uh, Victor Madrigal in Combate Americas. Uh, Rojo, also typically a bantamweight. Nonetheless, uh, stepping up here to take on Jordan, the former lightweight, and he is a quite the underdog. He plus 215, where Jordan is available around minus 250 to minus 260 as the favorite. Keith, 
how do you see this one going and who have you got? So we talked about, you know, this card not having the highest level of fighters. Like this fight to me is one of those. But I think this fight should be fun, and that's because Charles Jordan can't be in a boring fight. I mean, he's very athletic. He's exciting. He really lives up to that nickname, Air, because he'll just throw, like, a flying knee for no reason at all. Like, he'll be jabbing a guy winning, and they're just like, ah, I'm going to throw a flying knee. Uh, he's fast. He's wild to a fault where he will try crazy things, put himself in bad position. He will overthrow his punches sometimes, leaving him open to counters or being taken down. Uh, he does throw hard kicks. He doesn't like being pressured. Uh, Josh Kulabal, was a, I mean, it was a draw. It was a very close fight. Kulabal backed him up, and that's when he had his most success. And Kulabal actually hurt him. Hurt him bad in the first round. Almost knocked him out. Uh, Jordan, to his credit, he is a submission threat. He has three career submissions. And he was constantly looking for a guillotine against Kulabal. And Kulabal was unable to keep him down. Like He did work back to his feet pretty quickly. Move over to uh, Rojo. A, he's got a lot of experience, as you mentioned. He's at 24 fights you know, under his belt before his UFC debut. So you got to like that. You know, he's experienced a lot of things. Uh, I haven't watched too much film on him, so I'm not going to pretend like I'm some expert on him, but what I've seen, he's a very aggressive striker, uh, busy jab. Uh, I love that he switches stances, minute attack to kind of get cut different angles. So he kind of like cuts, I should say, not switch stances, but he cuts angles while he's coming in. He just doesn't come busting straight in. Um, good power. Well, calf kicks are a big part of his game. Uh, though I did watch one fight where he was absolutely just crushed with a body shot. Uh, he does have six submission wins. He gets the fight to the ground. I'm not that confident in this pick at all due to my lack of film study on Rojo. That said, uh, Jordan is a much better athlete. As you mentioned, he's going to have a big size advantage as one's moving up a weight class. One has actually recently moved down a weight class. So you have, you could have potentially have a two, you know, weight class gap between them. Give me Jordan just too fast, too strong. So give me Jordan, I will say, just by decision. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you in that I have just not been able to watch that much tape on Rojo. Jordan, he is capable of getting himself in trouble and losing fights that he shouldn't or getting a draw in a fight that maybe he should have won. There's always the chance that Rojo will be able to step in and, and do that. He Rojo is a finisher. You know, he's, uh, you know, both on the feet and in submission. So if Jordan slips up, Rojo can take advantage, but just I've not seen any evidence of Rojo doing that to fighters on the level of Jordan or the people that Jordan has been fighting for the last couple of years. So even though Rojo has quite a bit more experience, uh, you know, including he has a win due to disqualification for his opponent biting him, uh, you know, something that not many fighters get to experience, fortunately. Uh, I think Jordan's going to be too much, too big, uh, too fast. Uh, his pressure will be too much, even if he gets uh, wild. Uh, give me Jordan and, you know, Give me Jordan via uh, TKO, second round. Next up on the prelims, we are back in the strawweight division for a fight that was set to take place a couple weeks ago. We get to enjoy it now. It is Angela Hill versus Ashley Yoder. Hill, the 36-year-old, is 12-9 and overall. She is 7-9 and in the UFC. She will be facing Yoder, the 33-year-old, is 8-6 and overall, 3-5 and in the UFC. Hill? 
uh, the winner of their uh, first meeting a few years back is a prohibitive favorite here. She is out there around minus 380 as the favorite. Yoder available at plus 315 or so as the uh, underdog. Keith, we talked about this fight or prepared to talk about this fight just a couple weeks ago. The fight got bumped because one of Yoder's uh, cornermen had a what turned out to be a false positive for COVID. Uh, nonetheless, not much different about it except that both women are... I think three weeks older. Who have you got? Yeah, that that three weeks older definitely favors one of the fighters. Now, um, so if you've listened to our breakdown from what two weeks two weeks ago, I am going right down my old same notes. I just copy pasted my notes from two weeks ago. So I don't know if Ben is changing his breakdown. Uh, you could fast forward <laughs> till you hear Ben talking. Uh, if not, you want to hear it. Here's my breakdown. Uh, Hill. You know, she's light on her feet. She's a Muay Thai striker. She's a very good out fighter. She wants to be on the outside and just work distance. Chris Jab, uh, though she often overextends and reaches with her punches, leaving her over to a counter strike, kind of similar to what I just talked about with Jordan. Um, she's good at keeping her head off the center line, though. She's uh, She has this really nice, like, dipping to her left uh, right hand that I like. Her check left hook is good. She really worked the body in her fight against Cody Gadea. Uh, pretty solid in the clinch. She's when she gets the clinch, she likes to frame a lot. She likes to frame, which that's when you're kind of like pushing on the head and and creating distance to land strikes. Takedown defense is weak, though it has greatly improved, especially recently. Though the big Achilles heel on her is her inability to get on bottom, uh, get up from bottom. Uh, Randa Marcos. Claudia Cadelia, Michelle Watterson, they all had success by just taking her down and holding her down. Now, Yoder, though she doesn't have a great UFC record, she's made some big improvements since her days on Tough. Uh, she gave Randa Marcos a much better battle than I think anybody expected. Uh, the Southpaw, she throws a lot of kicks from range. Um, her boxing needs to improve. Uh, she kind of keeps her chin high in the air. She's a taller strawweight, kind of has that um, tall woman's style or, of striking. She is a grinder in the clinch, okay takedowns, uh, though she does try that dumb head and arm triangle. Uh, Yoda could win this if she turns into a wrestling match uh, based on Hill's inability to get up from the bottom. However, I don't think she's be able to. I think Hill's going to pick her apart from distance. I think he, she beats her up the clinch. I think Hill breezes to a victory. I think it's going to be Hill by decision. I think I think there might even be some 10-8 rounds if Hill turns up the volume. Uh, but before we move on, this week's episode of MMA Past, Present, Future, where you truly keep chilling, I actually speak to Ashley Yoder. So uh, hopefully it's it's in editing. It's getting edited right now, so hopefully it'll be up by the time you, uh, you listen to this show. You can listen to both back-to-back. We will do everything we can to make sure that they are both available to listen to tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I, I see the same dynamic here as you do. Hill is still a fantastic uh, out striker, in, in spite of the fact that she's she's not a super long and and lengthy strawweight. She's just kind of about average uh, for the division. You never see anybody. Uh, beater in an out kickboxing match it, it's the people that are able to get in earlier in her career people who were able to get inside and just uh bully her in the clinch because despite being a muay thai fighter she's not a mauler in the clinch uh for the most part 
or were able to take advantage of her takedown defense. Unfortunately, that's the same range where Yoder is most confident on the feet. She's just not as good there. Uh, so if, if Yoder commits to uh, the takedown, if she knows that the way she's going to win this fight is by getting Angela Hill on the ground with herself on top of her, we've got to fight. We've got to fight on our hands and probably be a, a lot of fun because Yoder either wins or she runs into something and gets knocked out. But I have the feeling that Yoder's just going to be stymied. Uh, just Hill piecing her up uh, on the outside. Because Hill's outside striking, it stings. Like, she's not a, a murderous knockout artist, but women typically have not liked what they've gotten for her, from her out there. I expect Yoder to get kind of frozen on the outside. And I could certainly see, you know, 10, eight rounds, but I just, I don't think Yoda's going to be able to walk through the minefield and get this fight where she wants. So give me Hill by a lopsided decision. The UFC Vegas 21 main card kicks off with an explosive middleweight matchup between Eric Anders and Darren Stewart. Anders, the 33-year-old, is 13-5 and five overall. He is 5-5 five and five since joining the UFC, uh, fought just once last year, losing a unanimous decision to Christoph Yatko at UFC on ESPN 8 in May. He'll be taking on Stewart. The 30-year-old Brit is 12-6 and six with one no contest. He is 5-6 and six with one no contest since joining the UFC. He fought uh, three times last year, uh, running into a pretty tough slate. He lost a split decision to Kevin Holland in September. Uh, had he won via first round submission over Maki Patolo at UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Olenek in August. And he fought the UFC fight, not a UFC fight, against Bartosz Fabinski at Cage Warriors 113, which, if you recall, happened just as COVID was closing everything down. And so even though Fabinski and Stewart are both UFC fighters because they were stuck in Europe. They had them fight at cage warriors 113 just to sneak that one extremely crucial fight. Apparently, uh, you know, under the tape before uh, COVID shut down the sport for a month or two. Uh, Stewart, despite the uh, one and two run in the last year is a slight favorite in this fight. Uh, he is minus 175 where you can get the former crimson tide linebacker Anders at plus 155. Keith, who do you like in this one? Well, did you know that Eric Anders played college football? I did. Okay. I did. I, I keep I, that I, in the same part of my brain that tells me that uh, Brian Stam was a Marine. Like, yeah. they mentioned it. They used to mention it once or twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. We talk about Eric Anders. You talked about, you know, his last loss. But his last win. So, you know, when we do fights, I you know, I take a couple fights and I you know, do a film study. I try to do more recent ones than – you know, years ago. And uh, one of the fights I did watch with Eric Anders was the Jared Mershaw fight that he won. And I thought Mershaw won that fight. So they just wanted to put mention that out there. I thought, um, anyways, Anders, Southpaw, he constantly moved, marching forward. He's got really good power. That's what happens when you're a linebacker for the University of Alabama <laughs> national, national championship team, too. I didn't know if you know oh. that. Um, yeah. I think he had a big tackle in it or something. I don't know. So, yeah. um, He's uh he's pretty slow though. He's flat footed, relies way too much on his overhand left. He throws the overhand left over and over and over again, just tries to knock it out his foe with the same punch every time. He doesn't grapple often, but when he does, he's not bad at all at, at all. 
um, and he stood well. Cardio was a bit of an issue against Mirshad, but he looked so much better against uh, Yako in his last fight. Uh, he's the other thing that worries me about Anders is this is a guy that kind of when he first came to UFC they threw him right to the wolves and he was fighting all the time. And he took a lot of damage. Like he took a lot of damage. I think about the Khalil Roundtree fight. I think about the Tiago Santos fights. Like Tiago Santos beat the brakes off of him. Um, and then even even Jared Mershard hurt him. And Jared Mershard is not a big puncher. Uh, moving to Darren Stewart, he's also not that fast, but he also has good power. He loves a brawl though, and that's because he's the opposite of Anders, uh, where I trust his chin. He will invite you into the pocket and throw down. Um, Kevin Holland blasted him with some big shots and he just kept moving forward. Uh, calf kicks are a big part of his game. He's just physically strong. Uh, he was there in Boston and I ran into him and he just like one of those same things we talk about, like William Knight, he's, he's more wide than high, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. Um, he loves that close battles, clinch, the dirty boxing style, uh, war where you can like throw a slicing elbow. He'll sneak in a takedown. Uh, he's a better grappler than he gets credited for. He can catch you in a sub. He loves the guillotine. That's like his go-to thing. And if he gets on top, he's some some, some really good ground pound. This is an interesting matchup. Uh, I thought Anders looked much better than usual in his last fight. That said, I still like Stewart to win. Uh, he's just such a grindy, um, like overachiever. I look at Stewart's. I think it was his last fight was Kevin Holland. That was a really close decision. Kevin Holland's headlining next week's card. Um, Kevin Holland's one or two wins away from a title shot. So to me, that I feel like Kev, you know Stewart is further in his career right now than Anders is. I feel like Anders is kind of on the decline, and Stewart might actually still, you know, making his way up a little bit. So give me Stewart. Uh, Anders is tough, so I don't think he gets him on there. So give me Stewart by decision. I am glad that you pointed out that Anders was kind of thrown to the wolves immediately. I mean, the guy was fight, was headlining against Leota Machida in his third UFC fight. And yeah, Machida was coming off a couple of losses, but those were losses to top 10 fighters. And to throw him to Machida in a five-round fight that early on, and they had him fighting really often. You know, he fought uh, four times in 2017, four times in 2018, three times in 2019. I feel as though he hasn't had a chance to develop a game, really. Like, I, I think in an alternate universe, he might've become a much grindier fighter, you know, instead of a guy that just waits, 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 and like looks for his like big knockout left. It was shocking to me when he fought Khalil Roundtree, just, I guess about two years ago at this point, because I thought of them as two guys who were roughly the same point along in their careers, but Roundtree had just developed so much more as a fighter. He outstruck him so badly, just made Anders look slow and clumsy and just a step behind the whole time. Yeah, I, I, and I'm I'm not even necessarily blaming the UFC for this, but I think there's some some lost potential with Anders now that he's 33, has taken some damage as, as you point out, and Anders is what he is now. I think Stewart is still kind of sneakily improving, and he's a guy that yeah, his his recent results are better than they look on on paper. Uh, yeah, that Holland that Holland fight is going to age really, really well for him. Uh, Stewart could finish Anders, but really not many people have. I mean, Tiago Santos did, but Tiago Santos 
was a killing machine at that point. That might have been, been him at his most deadly. Uh, I'm not going to pick Stewart to do that. Stewart's just a little too grindy, a little too deliberate. Uh, but yeah, give me Stewart to to wear down uh, Anders and just win a decision going away. Stewart might win all three rounds, and just I expect Anders to be kind of gassed and getting pot shotted by Stewart by the end. Next up, it is the flyweights as Manel Cop takes his uh, second swing at making a good first impression in the octagon, taking on the returning Mateus Nicolau. Cap, the 27-year-old Angolan, is 15-5 and five overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC, having uh, been signed as the departing Ryzen Fighting Federation flyweight champ, then missing all of 2020, he uh, finally made his debut against Alessandra Pantoja in February, losing by unanimous decision. He faces uh, Nicolau. The 28-year-old Brazilian is 15-2-1 overall. He is 3-1 in a UFC uh, first UFC stint that went from 2015 to 2018. He then took two fights outside the UFC, uh, most recently uh, winning in Brave CF back in August of 2019. So he was using Brave CF as a springboard back to the UFC before all the cool kids were doing it. But nonetheless, it has been uh, well over a year and a half since he's fought in any sort of cage or ring. Despite that, odds are very close. Cop uh, a slight favorite at minus 150. Nicolau available on the comeback at plus 130. Keith, do you still believe in Manel Cap? Did you ever believe in Manel Cap? And does he win on Saturday? You know what? I believe in him, but I also believe in Nicolau. I, I love this fight. Like this is well, it's actually one of those ones where I I love it because I know both guys are good, but I actually kind of hate it because I don't want to see either guy lose because I think I mean both guys kind of have their back against the wall. I mean, Nicolau is on his second return to UFC, and then Cop, you know, that would be 0-2 in the UFC. Uh what would a cop uh very similar to my breakdown just a couple weeks ago of him. Exciting striker. I said that he reminded me of Takanori Gomi, his style. Big power, really, really steps in his shots when he uh, when he throws. Can fight from both stances because he has power in both stances. He cuts angles in mid-attack. Uh, he does drop his hands because he relies on head movement to kind of, uh, you know, he throws from his hips a little bit. Will crush the body. He'll target calf kicks. He's got a very fast high kick that he kind of just keep you honest with. Um, in the past, offensive grappling really wasn't his thing. And, but he looked actually for wrestling a lot against Pantoja, where he was actually initiating takedowns, which was surprising. Uh, takedown defense is still, I'm still worried about. I go back to his, it kind of comes down to that Alka Sasaki fight that, uh, he, you know, Sasaki just turned into a wrestling match. Uh, but he showed a lot of improvement. Like when he got taken down, he worked his way up. Uh, against Pantoja, he was like winning wrestling exchanges. Move over to Nicolau. Now, Nicolau got cut part of that flyweight dissension thing, but it's one of the worst cuts in like recent memory. I mean, the guy was 3 1 in the UFC. Uh, this guy's well rounded. He uses lots of movement. Uh, he uses his movement to set up his explosive shots. He's got fast hands, tight, tight hooks. His left hook is his best punch. He's got some decent power. Hard leg kicks. He's a great grappler. Great takedown defense. Good takedowns himself. Good ground and pound. He's got five submission wins. Um, this is a really great matchup, and I really, really wanted to pick Nicolau. I wanted to pick him, 
he's so well-rounded. However, Cop is so explosive that if he catches Nikolaou, he could put him out. Uh, I'm saying, like, if I was a better, I would stay away from this fight because uh, I'm like 50-50 on this fight. But give me Cop just because he has the he has a better chance of finishing the fight with just one shot. So I'll take Cop, catches him in the second round. Man. Okay, well, finally, in what I think is the ninth fight on this card, we have some extent of disagreement, but I'm right on the edge with you. The thing is, I believe in Cop as much as I ever did. I thought he might have had a little... The expectations might have been a little too high coming in just as, you know, a rising champ on a three-fight winning streak of all knockouts. I mean, you know, expectations were very high for him. But, you know, he fought... And this was, what, six weeks ago. He fought uh, for the first time in a cage in a long, long time, for the first time, period, in over a year. And, oh, by the way, Alessandro Pantoja is a top-five fighter, and he's a guy that's tough to look good against. So I really just want to give Cop a complete mulligan on that one and just say, okay, you know, clean slate, start now. You know, you can be like, like you know, Shogun or Eddie Alvarez. You, you, you lose your first fight in the octagon. You don't look great, but, you know, you, you come back from it and things look great. But this is another hugely tough ask for, for him. Because uh, Pereira kind of, I mean, he, he's not the same fighter as Alessandro Pantoja, but he's similar in that he's well-rounded, he's at least good everywhere, and he's tough to look really good against. There's always the possibility that cop could do to to um, Nicolau what Dustin Ortiz did. Ortiz just blitzed him with, I mean, he hit him with a head kick that knocked him out even though he blocked it. And that's the kind of knockout that Manel Cop can land on people because I've seen him do that to people. Uh, but I'm not going to bet on it. For one thing, you know, Pereira is another young fighter. He's... I mean, there's every chance he'll be better than than even than he looked in his last UFC run here. But even if he looks the same, I yeah, there's just another tough ask for Cop. Uh, you know, Cop could even lose rounds while looking for the kill shot as Pereira just uses pressure, uses his boxing, uses uh, his his kicks to just outscore him. Uh, if it goes to the ground. Uh, Nicolau has huge has huge advantages there, and I have no reason to believe he won't be able to take Cop down. Like Cop's, his takedown defense is improved, but I it's still not a strength for him. So give me Mateus Nicolau in a triumphant return to the UFC uh, by decision. You know, maybe even a lopsided decision. Cop won't be on my cut list. He won't be on the UFC's cut list, and he'll probably get a bit of a softball for his next fight. But even if he bounces back from that, this might be the end of talk of Manel Cop as a UFC flyweight uh, title contender. Next up, it is a bantamweight matchup between Jonathan Martinez and Davy Grant. Martinez, the 26-year-old, is 13-3 and overall. He is... Four and two since joining the UFC to relatively little fanfare in uh, 2018. He is on a two fight winning streak, having beat Thomas Almeida by unanimous decision 
at UFC Fight Night Ortega versus Korean Zombie last October and in August of last year, knocking out Frankie Science in the third round of their fight. He takes on Grant, the 35-year-old from England, is 12-4 and overall. He is 3-3 three and three in the UFC. He is on a two-fight win streak as well, having defeated Martin Day last July at UFC 251 by third-round knockout and having taken a split decision over Grigory Popov at UFC Fight Night Magomed Sharipov versus Cater in November of 2019. Martinez, a heavy favorite here, is sitting out there around minus 325. You can get Grant at plus 265 or plus 270 as the underdog. Keith, how do you like uh, Martinez, one of the more unlikely four and two in the UFC yeah. uh, fighters that we have right now? Yeah, he just, dude just keeps winning. Um, so I'll start with Martinez. Uh, Southpaw, he's a sharp striker. Uh, he's got a very Muay Thai style, works behind a jab. Uh, he uses a jab more defensively. He, like, he uses it to keep distance and just to like, score points than to kind of hurt. Uh, he lacks punching power. Like, he's not a big puncher, though he did briefly rock Thomas Almeida in his last match, so maybe he's starting to develop some of his power. Uh, he likes to work the body. Lots of kicks, though. Teep kicks. He mixes up kicks and punches well um, in, his com- in his combinations. He loves the flying knee, which is so funny when you look at his personality. When you when you see, uh, you know, interviews with him, he's so like he, he seems uncomfortable doing interviews. To have like a high flying uh, fighting style is kind of funny. Uh, just doesn't fit with his personality. Uh, weak de- weak uh, takedown defense. Um, that's definitely an area that he needs to improve. Move over to Davy Grant. Um, I kind of like Davy Grant just because he's not athletic. Uh, he's not pretty, but uh, he's just tough. Like he just uh, he's he's made the UFC and been somewhat successful in the UFC just by grinding and to being tough. Uh, he throws punches from his hips. Uh, he did flatten Martin Day with a left hook, though he was hurt early in that fight. So um, I wouldn't suggest continuing trying to look for brawls. He loves sidekicks, calf kicks. He'll add in a takedown, but he isn't an explosive wrestler. He's got a good get-up game if he's on bottom. And he has a submission threat. I mean, he's got eight submissions on his record. I would say before tape study, I thought Grant was worse than he is. He's actually probably a little bit better than I remember when I rewatched his film this week. However, I'm still pretty confident in Martinez in this fight. Uh, there's a reason why he's a hefty favorite. No, do I think he should be as big of a favorite as? No, I don't think he should be as that big of a favorite. Uh, but he is just faster, more technically sound. I think he p- pieces them up from the outside. If Martinez had more power, I would take him to win by stoppage. But because I'm still, I still think the power is coming, I'm going to say Martinez wins by decision. Yeah. I, I I did not expect Martinez still to be in the UFC after his uh, very short notice debut against uh, Andre Sukumtat back in October of 2018. He just didn't seem to be UFC level or UFC ready at that point, but he bounced back and just kept winning fights. You know, he'd uh, lose one, then win two lose another one, and he's won another two. And Frankie Science and, and Thomas Almeida are very credible opposition. I I think 
uh, I think this is Martinez's fight to lose. Obviously, the the odds lay it out as such. But yeah, I, I think Martinez will be able to get back up if Grant takes him down. On the feet, most of the advantages are his. He's a better striker at range. He's probably as good a striker inside. Uh, there's just not going to be any place too comfortable for Grant. I'm not calling for a finish here. Just, you know, uh, Grant is... Uh, that tough he's not been knocked out before i'm not going to call for it to happen now but give me martinez uh by decision next up at ufc fight night 187 we have uh what i can pretty safely say is one of the most hotly anticipated matchups on the card a featherweight scrap between dan ige and gavin tucker ige the 29 year old hawaiian is 14 and 3 overall he is 6-2 since joining the UFC off of the first season of, cont- of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, his most recent appearance, he lost a, frankly, lopsided unanimous decision to Calvin Cater at UFC on ESPN 13, snapping a very impressive uh, six-fight win streak for himself. He takes on uh, Tucker, the 30, uh, 34-year-old Canadian, is on a three-fight win streak of his own and uh, after taking off almost two full years after a horrific beating at the hands of Rick Glenn in 2017. But since coming back in mid-2019, he has defeated Sung Woo Choi by Rear Naked Choke, uh, then Justin Janes again by Rear Naked Choke last August, and in December took a unanimous decision over Billy uh, Quarantillo. I'm going to step out and say that I think Dan Ige might be the, might be the top Dana White's contender series success story so far, like in terms of what the contender series should be, because he's not a guy that came in like super highly heralded. He was just another guy, just another prospect from Hawaii, you know, one impressively on the show, got into the UFC, lost his first white, uh, lost his first fight, then went on a really impressive six fight winning streak, you know, taking out people like Mursad Bektic and Edson Barboza. Uh, he, he clearly hit, I'm not going to say, a ceiling because he's still only 29 and he's improving, but he definitely hit a wall against Cater. Like he was badly outclassed, but just the fact that, you know, he came in unheralded, came to the UFC through the contender series and fought his way to like a, a legit top 10 ranking. Like, I think that's what the contender series is for. I think he's quietly kind of the model of what the contender series should be. Uh, Gavin Tucker is, I mean, he's basically a zombie movie. For those that don't remember, the beating he took from Rick Glenn at UFC 215, I it's one of the it was I thought the beatdown of that year one of the worst beatdowns of any year in like modern high level mixed martial arts. Just a fight that should have been stopped multiple times. There was at least one 10-7 round in there. Just completely hellacious. I assumed he was never coming back, and for him not only to come back but come back better and come back with kind of a a little bit of a different skill set, different adjustments. That's really impressive. And now he is on the cusp of what Ige really wanted for the last year or two, where Ige was on this impressive win streak. And against Cater, he finally got a shot at a guy ranked higher than himself with you know bigger name value than himself. Ige is now that guy for Tucker. Having said that, I think this is a bad matchup uh, for Tucker. Like, it's not unwinnable. I think the the line is about where it should be. But Tucker's uh, success since he's been back has been predicated on becoming a much better offensive wrestler. And once he gets people down, just being a... He was always a very good grappler. But 
just he he seems to have uh, wrestling chops and just positional strength that allows him to control the fight once it goes to the ground until he can get that submission. And it's allowed him to wear down and wear out and beat bigger fighters because he's not big for the division. Uh, the the line on Ige for the longest time was that, you know, you're, you're undersized for the division. You could drop to 135, but Ige is going to be bigger than Tucker. Tucker's like a short little stocky guy, but just he's d- designed a game that, saves him from the kind of beatings he took against Glenn and has allowed him to uh, to kind of neutralize the size advantage of bigger fighters. Uh, unfortunately, Ige's going to be bigger. He's going to be stronger. He's going to be more athletic. Uh, and Ige's wrestling, both offensive and defensive, I think has always been a little underrated. When he came to the UFC, when you get, you know, a Hawaiian prospect with fewer than 10 fights coming into the UFC. You have certain expectations. Often you expect a, a bit of a very aggressive, you know, brawly striker. But he's always been a good wrestler and he's always been willing to use it. I think Ige is going to be able to keep this on the feet against Tucker and I think he's going to beat him up. I don't know if he'll finish him, but give me Ige uh, by a pretty clear cut decision. Yeah, so this is a great fight. I'll I'll jump on what you're saying about Ige. Like Ige is just likable as you as you mentioned, being that he's like your lunch pail kind of guy that he has just slowly kind of made his way up the rankings of the contender series. The other guy that kind of jump out when you talk about guys in the contender series that you know didn't have huge hype, but you know worked themselves up to a really good position is the guy actually we see headlining next week's card. That's Kevin Holland. I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, he didn't get a, get a contract off the first (laughs) season. Um, You know, a little, obviously much different personality than he, I mean, he actually talked himself into a UFC contract, but similar thing, stayed busy. And now he's got himself in a really good situation. Uh, Back to, to Ige. I just like his skills. He's like, he's a compact striker who has really improved his striking over the years He's very aggressive. He fights at it like an ungodly, insane pace. Just throws he just like almost whips the punches at you. Good power, throws combinations. Uh, he he loves like he has a nice counter right hand left hook combo. He throws. He can he takes a lot of damage though, but he just so insanely tough. He just marches right through it. Uh, I think about the just amount of damage he take just in his last two fights. His last two fights with Edson Barboza and Calvin Cater. Uh, I mean, he just showed oh. how insane. He clearly, you know, you mentioned this Hawaiian, you know, we stereotype the Hawaiian toughness. Like he, he's he's perfect. Like if, if I was a Hawaiian, that's the guy I'd want to represent me. Uh, hard <laughs> leg kicks. Uh, he, he also likes to throw the flying knee to close distance. He's a good grappler. A nice timing on his entries. Good in scrambles. Good in top control. Good ground and pound. Uh, he is a Brazilian just to black belt. Uh, move over to Tucker. Tucker's much different than Ige's style, where Ige is um, come forward and, and blitz you with volume. Tucker's got a style on you. Like he's a southpaw who's elusive. He's very fluid, fast hands, high output, nice snap on his on his strikes. He closes the distance well with the striking. Uh, He's actually a guy who likes to cut angles, come in from different attacks, kind of get you guessing while he's attack. Uh, you know, when he's coming forward, he's got an accurate left hand. He mixes kicks in well, hard kicks, step in knees. But similar to to Ige, he's also taken a lot of damage, as you mentioned in that in that Rick Glenn fight. He was also dropped by Justin James of all people in their fight. 
but as as Ike was a grappler who really improved his striking, Taco uh, was a striker who really improved his grapple, like you mentioned lately. Uh, he's went from a weakness to probably a strength in his grappling. Uh, he's good at winning scrambles. Uh, he passes guard easily, and, he, and he's a submission threat. Uh, I I think this so. We both agree this is a good fight. You you feeling really good about it? I'm not, I'm not feeling really good. Like to me, this is an amazing fight. To me, this is like the no brainer fight of the night based on their high volume. I expect it to be back and forth, both guys having good moments. But I can't get over the fact that Ike has fought higher level, and his output just breaks people. Um, you know, people are upset about him winning a decision over Edson Barboza, which I agree. I scored it for Edson Barboza. But at the end of that fight, he was still mentally breaking Edson Barboza with his just nonstop coming forward, uh, charging style. So give me Ige to win a very fun fight of the night decision. That brings us to the co-main event and the heaviest fight on the card, unless Eric Anders or Darren Stewart really, really blow weight badly, in a light heavyweight matchup between Misha Serkinov and Ryan Spann. Serkinov, the 34-year-old Latvian by way of Canada, is 15-5 and overall. He is 7-3 and in the UFC, though he has not appeared since uh, winning a fight over Jimmy Crutes by Peruvian necktie, of all things, back at UFC Fight Night Cowboy vs. Gagey back in September of 2019. He'll be returning to face Span. The 29-year-old uh, Houston native is... 18 and 6 overall. He is 4 and 1 since joining the UFC off of his second appearance on Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he had an unsuccessful appearance on season one, then came back in season two, choked out Emiliano Sordi in about 30 seconds, and ever since has been plying his trade in the octagon. He started his UFC run with a four fight win streak. That came to an end last September against Johnny Walker at UFC Fight Night Covington versus Woodley. Uh, perhaps for that reason, uh, Span is just the slightest of underdogs against the returning Serkinov. Span is out there at even money or even plus 105 or so, where Serkinov is uh, minus 125 as the favorite. Uh, Keith, I always feel as though there are two Misha Serkinovs out there. They're identical twins, and we don't know which one we've got until about 90 seconds into the fight because by that point he's either lost by insane knockout or he has won by insane submission so please clear it up for me tell me which misha serkinov we're going to see in the octagon this saturday and and how you see the fight going yeah dude i i wish i knew um so yeah it's that's so funny you said that because when you like when i was writing down my notes like i didn't feel confident in anything i wrote down like like this could happen. Like he could do these things or he could suddenly not know how to grapple at all. Or he, he could have be really strong or he could flop. Um, circuit of softball, his hands are pretty slow. Like he actually kind of similar to Eric Anders. He's got these big muscles and his punches don't come out fast. Uh, his striking needs a lot of improvements. It's actually pretty ugly, uh, but he's so physically strong. He is a judo black belt. If he can get in the clinch, uh, he's got some trips he can shoot for takedowns. He just blasts doubles through your hips. And when he's on the ground, he is a legit submission threat. He's got eight submissions in his career. His last five wins have become by submission. Some really fun ones, too. I mean, the, the Peruvian necktie in his last 
fight Movilla to Span. Can I can I just rant for a second? Please. I just rewatched the Johnny Walker fight and I know I'm <laughs> I know I'm biased. I I'm I'm a I'm a big safe Sayud guy. I'm a big Fortis guy. Like I just I have I was on the Fortis MMA train way before a lot of people were. Safe Sayud's one of my I've interviewed before him, he's one of my favorite guys. He was one hundred percent right. There was so many unanswered punches to the back of the head to Ryan Span is absolutely ridiculous. Can we just fix like you're right now, I'm looking at you and you're wearing headphones. You're wearing these big headphones. Yep. Like, why can't that just be like the rule? Like, here are the headphones, like ears, everyone has two ears. If you hit the air and forward is legal, everything behind the air is illegal. Like, how wouldn't that be so much easier? You could see if a punch is behind the air or in front of the air. Like this, where is the back of the line with the whole, you know, big John McCarthy Mohawk nonsense and all this stuff? Like, just be the ears. Like in front of the ears, ears in front, cool. Behind the ears, illegal. Anyways, back to the actual fight. Sorry, that's, uh, Ryan. And dude, that's the maddest I've ever seen. Save Saud. And I don't he's blame normally him. just Mister. No, I don't blame him either. One, one, I don't blame him for. I mean, his fighter was doing well, uh, but besides that. Like guys are getting hurt. There's a reason why it's illegal. But um, they were, and you have Johnny Walker, who's, you know, come fight night, probably 225 pounds, who could generate some serious, serious power punching your, your guy in the back of the head. Besides winning and losing, just the safety of the guy punching him in the back of the head about 15 times in a row. Uh, anyways, uh, Ryan Span, long and lengthy guy. Um, he can tend to be a little bit of a low output, sometimes trigger shy, uh, though his. He makes up for it when he connects. He can knock you out. He's got very good power. His left hook is his best strike. Uh, but he's not just a striker. Like, they always talk about how devastating of a striker is. He's probably a better grappler than he is a striker. He's, I think his ground game is underrated. Uh, he's a weak defensive wrestler, but he's a good jujitsu artist, a good submission throw, actually. He's got 11 wins by way of submission. Uh, his gu- guillotine is his go-to move, so it's circling up gets lazy and shoots in and keeps his head in there, he could get the guillotine. Um, and then he almost he almost had Sam Alvey in a standing arm triangle where Sam Alvey was red. It looked like he was just about to go out when somehow Sam Alvey got out of it. Uh, this is an interesting matchup. Span could have a lot of success if he strikes with Serkinov. However, he's been looking to wrestle more and more, and I just don't think that's a good game plan to play with Serkinov uh, because, well, Span... Might be able to catch his mission. He's not going to win a straight up wrestling match against Serkinov. And I actually think Serkinov's going to win the exchanges. And he's actually submitted better guys than Ryan Span. So I think Serkinov catches a submission. And honestly, I I'm glad that you talked about how inconsistent Serkinov is. I want to go bold. Like I'm going to say, good Serkinov shows up. I'm so confident. I'm locking it in as my lock of the night. Good Serkinov shows up, catches a second round submission. Oof. Oh, man, I can't wait for the recap if Span just clocks him in 45 seconds. But this will be, be a fun fight to recap either way. When I think about Misha Serkinov, I think about something that uh, Joe Rogan once said, and it's stuck in my head for like 15 years now. Like, obviously, you know, Rogan, having done this job for as long as he has, he's said a few things that are kind of out there. But one thing he said was that uh, high-level judokas are always stronger than they look. They just have this insane core strength that comes from just the hours and hours and thousands of reps of, I mean, it's not even wrestling. It's like 
you know, situations where you're using your body weight and the other guy's body weight as leverage, and they just build this incredible strength. And he was using it in talking about uh, Caro Parisian, who, I mean, Parisian always looked a little doughy even when he was, you know, in the best shape of his life. But that's always stayed with me. And now I'm looking at Misha Serkinov, who looks strong as fuck. And I was thinking, and yeah, and he's even stronger than he looks. And th that's always stuck in my head when, uh, you know, and it, it, I think about it every time I see Serkinov fight. Serkinov, we've already gone over how he's kind of a two true outcome fighter. He either completely runs game on somebody in the grappling or he gets knocked out by something silly. But, man, I, I can see Span catching him with with something so so easily in the first round like like we've talked about like you just mentioned span is a fortis guy uh safe knows exactly where his bread is buttered here he does i'm sure he doesn't want span even to clinch with Serkinov. just can can we trust span to do the thing that is in his his best interest here I'm also curious as to what uh, Serkinov is going to look like after almost a year and a half off. You know, he's 34. He's uh, He has a sneaky high number of, of MMA fights. This will be his 21st fight. He had, uh, you know, a career in judo before that. Is is he going to be falling off? Because Span is, I mean, Span is still even probably uh, entering his prime as an athlete now. I don't feel comfortable with it. And I mean, we're going to know one way or the other within about three minutes, but I'm going to pick the other one true outcome here. I'm going to pick Span to come in, be on his feet, be on his bike, start tagging Serkinov from outside, catch him with something. Serkinov is dazed. This thing is over. Give me a Span by first round knockout. And it is definitely not my lock of the night. But if it happens, I'm going to act like it was. That brings us to the main event, a welterweight five-round, presumably, hopefully, please God, title eliminator between Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad. Edwards, the 29-year-old Jamaican-British fighter, is 18-3 and overall. He is 10-2 and in the UFC. Uh, as we mentioned off the top, he is on an eight-fight winning streak, uh, most recently defeating Rafael Dos Anjos by a pretty lopsided unanimous decision at UFC on ESPN4 all the way back in July of 2019. He will be facing Muhammad. Muhammad, also 18-3. and three. He is 9-3 and three in the UFC. He is on a four-fight win streak. And to underscore the difference in activity rate between the two, the last three fights of that four-fight winning streak have all come since the last time Edwards appeared in the cage. Uh, most recently, Muhammad faced uh, Diego Lima just a few weeks ago at UFC 258, winning a unanimous decision. Uh, he comes in here on fairly short notice as Kamzat Shemaev, unable to uh, go due to lingering effects from COVID, his stated retirement that is Shemaev's turned out possibly to be an exaggeration but nonetheless he is not stepping into the cage this Saturday instead it will be Muhammad who will uh step up for the breakthrough fight that he deserves you know perhaps almost as much as Edwards deserves a, a title shot Keith I'm gonna toss this to you but first uh just give me your 30 second 
break down a prediction of who you would have had between Edwards and Shemaev and why. You know what? That's so tough because you you really have to just rewatch the film study on like like Shemaev. I'm not like sold on him yet. Like he's looks incredible, but he's also looked incredible against extremely lower level competition. Like it, it, it going from the competition he went to to Leon Edwards is one of the biggest jumps ever. You know, you're going from a, a guy. You said 30 seconds. I think I've already gone over 30 seconds, and I haven't gave you a prediction. Um, But, yeah, it's tough to not take the veteran who's fought at a high level, who's also on a, what do you say, eight-fight winning streak against Mm -hmm. very good guys. But then it's also hard to pick against any killing, you know, Russian fighter, Russian-ish, Russian-ish, wherever he, whatever country he's actually from, that area of the world where he's just, he just looks like the next coming. So yep. I don't. I have no idea. I'm sorry. Hey, I, I, I'm with you. It was a, it was a hard one to to pick, but I think I would have leaned Edwards just because he's been fighting such better competition, and he's just not a guy that people were able to blitz and pressure and jump in and and hurt him. Like it's not just that he's on an eight fight winning streak. I don't know how many rounds he's lost during that time. It's fitting that the last guy to beat him was Kamaru Usman because Kamaru Usman is the only guy that's even more like airtight and suffocating. Anyway, between Edwards and Muhammad, uh, how how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, so it's funny we're talking about going back to Leon Edwards for like the longest time, like during this streak, maybe five or six fights in. I just viewed him as like a B level of like, oh, this is a guy who just kind of got in the top ten of welterweight, but he's not an A level fighter. But he then just kept beating everyone, and then I do tape study on him and I'm like oh wow that's why he beats everyone because this dude is really skilled <laughs> like he really oh oh the reason why he's beating everyone oh because he is an a-level fighter uh he's a southpaw who's light on his feet he's got very good footwork both uh, avoiding you know le- learning distance and, and circling and moving and he uses you know his footwork as his first line of defense but also lining up his attacks he keeps his feet underneath them to generate power he's a good counter striker he uses feints really well he's got good vision he's accurate his head movement is on point so he's got a very slip and rip style so slip come over the top with like an overhand left good good power and it seems like it's actually getting um as, as he gets more comfortable like he's not a feel like he just looks like a guy who's knows he's good Knows he looks better every fight, and he's the confidence. And when you have confidence, the power seems to come with it. It's like a match. Uh, and he's such a good wrestler, which is so rare for, you know, uh, that part of Europe. You know, to be, you know, like England, UK is not really known for the wrestling, but he's really good. Both He's got some entries, but really the body, like, he just gets in the clinch. He's so strong, um, which works out even better to get thick because he'll wear you down in the clinch and then kick you down. So you're getting tired, and then he slams you on the ground. He's on top, and he just smothers you. He keeps busy with ground pound. I haven't seen him slow down in a fight. Now, you move over to Muhammad. My notes didn't change much in his last fight. He's a little undersized, which will be an issue against a guy like Leon Edwards, who's a big guy. Uh, but he's got a very intelligent fight IQ. He's a thinker. He has a game plan that he knows. He, he usually has the right game plan. And he executes it, and then a lot. A lot of that has to do with like his lack of overall skill. He's not the most explosive guy. He's not the best wrestler. He's not the best striker. Like he's not. 
yeah, he doesn't have the best card. Like everything you talk about Bilal Muhammad, like there's nothing that jumps off the page about like, oh, this is what he's a lead at. But he knows these limitations. And when you know the limitations, you can kind of get around it. You could find a way. And that's what Muhammad does so many times. He's got good movement. He stays very composed, uses feints wells, works behind a jab. He constantly t- changing his tacks, both high and low. Uh, calf kicks. Um, some I would still say he has some flaws defensively. Doesn't use his head movement as well as he should. Um, has been clocked before. I mean, Lyman Good almost knocked him out. Uh, he's a very underrated wrestler. Uh, and he didn't even use it that much against Diego Lima, which is surprising because of the fact that, you know, that's the guy you expect to have a good wrestling advantage on. And I think his fakes of the wrestling opened up more shots. Really, and we talked about really forced Diego Lima to fight on his back foot. So um, he couldn't be coming forward. He couldn't really step in his shots. Um, kind of was froze Diego Lima for the majority of the fight. But he's a great wrestler. Good timing on dropping down on the hips when his opponents are kind of throwing at his head. Really good back takes. Um, as far as prediction, I like Muhammad a lot. Um, I like him. He's, I don't know. He's just like, like he's a good dude who willing to fight everyone, willing to take guys on short notice. Kind of when he first came to UFC, never expected this guy to be headlining, you know, UFC cards being in the top 15 ish range and, and just like, diver- like, deservingly so. Like, he didn't just. Um, get to this one. It wasn't like he jumped that uh, opportunity when someone was out. Like he's racked up win after win after win. That says he has a ceiling that you know that is. It's not this level. It's not this level because of his lack of explosion, athlete, lack of athleticism. You can only get so far, and you have to have some natural uh, elite skills, and he doesn't have that. Edwards is above that level, in my opinion. I think he's simply just better everywhere. I think he's faster. I think he's more technical on the feet. I think he's, even though Muhammad is a good wrestler, I think Edwards is probably even a better wrestler. He's bigger than him. I think he beats up Muhammad on the feet. I think he beats him up on the ground. And if he's anywhere now, you know, he's been out for 20 months. It's been a very long time. It's been almost two years since we've seen Leon Edwards based on COVID and fallouts and all this. But if he's anywhere near the fight that we saw leave, I think he finishes him. So give me Leon Edwards by fourth round TKO, and I'll say it's on the ground with ground and pound. Outstanding. The the thing that you know I kind of hinted at off the the top of this one, and then you came back to is that Edwards is good everywhere. There's a certain air tightness to to his game. Uh, I think it was like maybe right after the Cerrone fight that I asked myself and probably asked in a column is Leon Edwards like the best MMA wrestler from England. And I still think he might be. And the funny thing is it's not because he was a wrestler. He's a guy that started training MMA. He's a guy that just walked into an MMA gym. He's not like he was a wrestler or a kickboxer or something before, but yeah, he, he's such an athlete and such an intelligent guy that he has picked up all the facets. And because he's better probably almost everywhere than almost everyone he fights. He kind of takes what they give him. Uh, just, I, and because of that, I think he wins a lot of fights by decision. Like, I think maybe he could have finished Cerrone. I don't know if he could have finished uh, RDA, but I know I was, uh, I know I was cage side for that one. I had picked Dos Anjos to win and I was stunned at just 
how much stronger Edwards was and just how futile uh, Dos Anjos' efforts in the clinch and in trying to initiate wrestling were against him. Edwards could have beaten Dos Anjos with pretty much whatever he wanted. What he chose to beat him with was just punching him to death from the outside, you know, and then mashing him up in the clinch a little bit late. Uh, Muhammad is going to face all those problems. I like Muhammad for all the same reasons you do. I unfairly lumped him into the action welterweight category, I think, three or four years ago. You know, he came in, he had a bunch of good fights with guys like Vicente Luque, Randy Brown, Tim Means. And I was like, okay, he's in that kind of universe of guys. Guys that might scrape the top 15 once in a while, but for the most part, they're just uh, kind of bonus magnets. They're, they're going to get a lot of fight of the night, performance of the night type things. But he just kept on winning. You know, we, we've talked about Edwards' crazy long uh, win streak, but Muhammad has won eight of his last nine, and they've been over some good fighters. Uh, and he's beaten them in surprising ways. And a lot of them, he's beaten much bigger guys. He's always been undersized for welterweight. He continues to be undersized. But even against dudes like Lyman Good and Curtis Millender, who are big, big welterweights, uh, he found ways to win. He's just not going to find him against Edwards. Edwards doesn't have the kind of holes in his game that uh, a Lyman Good, you know, or even even like a, a Tim Means has. Muhammad is super, super tough. It's I, it's hard for me to pick him, like, getting finished. The one time he finished, he got, was finished, he got blitzed by Luke a, uh, who's, like, you know, just a knockout machine and a super fast starter. But I could see Edwards just grinding him down and getting a finish late, kind of like uh, you've predicted. But for the sake of variety, I will say this goes to decision, and that'll just make it even more fun and spicy because all of the Edwards haters will howl that he's a boring fighter, even though I think it's exciting to see people who are great at what they do do what they do. So I don't find Edwards boring, but that'll be the scream. Kamaru Usman has already been calling for Edwards to get his shot. When the champion is calling for you, hey man, all, all you got to do is step up to the plate and hit that pitch. I think Edwards is going to do it. Give me Leon Edwards by a pretty lopsided decision. He might take all five rounds. There you have it. Predictions for all 13 fights from UFC Fight Night 187, Edwards versus Muhammad. For Keith Schillen, I am Ben Duffy. You can find both of our work on SureDog.com. Make sure to check us out either through the SureDog front page or directly on the SureDog YouTube page for our live recap of this event immediately after the main event where we will take your questions, take your comments, and if we picked all these wrong, take your abuse. Keith, say goodbye to the nice people. Goodbye, nice people.